Yeah. And we back. Hey. Hey. Huh. Hey. Huh. Hey. Huh. Hey. Huh. Hey. Huh. Okay. Hey. Huh. So let's jump back in it. I haven't reached out in a minute. Tell me what's good. How you feeling? We about to make a million. Don't want to forget about the rollies. All my homies getting a percentage. Let's go. Let's get it. Hey, what's up, Joey? What's up, Ryan? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds. It's season five here today, the season premiere. So we're very excited to be back here in 603 in the Colonial Building, live to you listening on WECB.FM right now, and obviously not live to those of you listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, after this. But we're very excited to be back. And Ryan, we've been gone for pretty much three months off the show, so we got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, we do. We got... Football's over, soccer, we're in the mix of soccer, even though we never talk about it. Yeah. NBA, we're in the midst of that, about to get the second half of the schedule going, coming up soon, so I'm excited Foot- to get back into it. Football we're not even really talking about today. We'll definitely get more into the offseason as it goes on, because there's a lot of movement possibly this offseason, especially with the quarterbacks, so we'll touch on that a little bit here today, but as you alluded mm-hmm. to there, Ryan, today's all about the NBA, because the season is now in full swing, it's the best show on television right now, and I think we've got a pretty good season so far. I think we've got a lot of interesting storylines to talk about, so let's just get right into it, Ryan. So the first question I have to ask you, who is the favorite right now to win the championship in your mind? In my mind, fully healthy, I would have to pick the Nets or... Well, we'll just start off with the Nets because you gave me a look, so I feel like you'll have something else to say. I think the Nets have three of the best scores in the game right now, three of the top five scores in the game right now. And if they're able to figure out a backup center or a better starting center, I think they could run away with the title easily. I think maybe on paper right now they might be the best, and I think I definitely agree with you that when you look at the buyout market and who could be available and where they're likely to look, they're going to go to Brooklyn nine times out of ten if, if right. free agents at the market. So I think on paper, by the end of the year, we definitely might have to say Brooklyn's the best team. But I still can't take it away from the Lakers. And I had my question marks about the Lakers all season last year, but they really put a lot of that to bed in the playoffs. And before AD went down, they were right there with the Jazz with the best record in the league. So they're still the champs in my mind. And if it wasn't for AD going down, they might still be number one in the West or only half a game back or something like that. So I see the Nets, and I think they're probably the favorites to come out of the East right now. But the the Lakers are still the champs, and I can't take that away from them quite yet. Yeah, you can't take that away from them. AD going back down, they're one and three now with AD out, and that's kind of concerning because when AD's off the floor, they're not the same team, obviously, because that's one of the best players in the game. Their defense falls off dramatically. They had some good pickups in the offseason like Wesley Matthews and Marc Gasol, but I don't really see them making great additions to the team right now, especially with AD out. You'd expect someone like Montrez Harrell to step up and Marcus Gasol to step up, and I haven't really seen anything of them. Well, I don't know if you remember, Ryan, but I remember making our preseason predictions for the standings, and I had the Lakers, I think, third in the West. I didn't have the Jazz, one or two. That's obviously been the surprise, but I, I thought the Lakers might not have the best regular season in the world, and obviously they came out firing, but I think what we're seeing now is sort of what you expect from a team who just won a championship, and when your best player is 35, 36, however old LeBron is now, it mm-hmm. doesn't even matter anymore, it's just so old and still doing his thing. So I think to see the Lakers slip up a little bit in the regular season, especially when you consider that their second best player is gone is down right now with an injury, and that's a mm-hmm. large reason why we're seeing a bit of these regular season struggles. I think it's totally justified, totally something that should be expected, and it's not enough for me to to drop them at all in my rankings. And again, that's nothing necessarily taking away from the Nets. It's more just reiterating my faith in the Lakers after what we saw them do last year. And I think we're in agreement. They probably only got better in that offseason. You, you mentioned it, not any huge splashes, but you mentioned Schroeder there as well. Oh, yeah, Schroeder, sure. another good one. So I, I like the moves that they made. I think they're better, if not <clears throat> by a huge margin, but just better on paper a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I still got the Lakers as my favorite. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. I, I get worried about Anthony Davis's health, obviously. That's always been one of the biggest knocks on him. Like, he could be one of the best power forwards of all time if he could stay healthy. He's had shoulder injuries, he's had knee injuries, and now is this his Achilles? I believe it's his calf, but his yeah, calf. Th- that's the worry, though, because that's what happened with KD a couple years ago, is the calf, and then he went back out there a little too soon, and then boom, right. Achilles popped. Yeah. Well, they need, to, they need to be careful with him, especially in a COVID season. You're not playing as many games. You don't know what's going to happen. I think the Lakers need to be as careful as they can with them because 
this is their guy going forward. So, and they also have nothing to prove to anybody, which no, I think is a key all. point. I think if it's last year, maybe you handle it a little bit differently. Even then, I I would say not to, but I think they'd have reasons to at least. But like I said, they're the champions. They've proven to everyone that they're the best team in the league until proven otherwise. So I think, like you said, rest AD until he's 100 percent because he's a guy with injury history too, right. which is something that we we seem to forget a little bit. But early in his career, it was a legitimate concern. So you definitely want to play on the safe side because, like you mentioned too. <laughs> LeBron, he's got to slow down at some point, and AD right. is 28 right now, 29 maybe, so he's got plenty of time left to to still compete out there. So you definitely want to keep him upright if you can. As long as the Lakers are top three seed, I think they'll be all right because I think if they drop slip to four and let's say the Clippers climb up to that first seed, I think that would be kind of hard for them, just a harder path to get even there. So I think as long as they stay in that top three seed, I think they should be all right. Yeah. Um, which they're obviously on pace to do right now, sitting at second with only half a game above the Clippers. I'm with you. So that's a, a quick general overview of the whole league there as we each picked a team from the East and the West. But, Ryan, now let's take it East. And as we said, we're kind of in agreement there. The Nets, probably when it's all said and done, are going to be the favorites in the East. Who do you see as the biggest challenge to Brooklyn to win the Eastern Conference? Well, I have the 76ers who are sitting at the top of the East. You have an MVP candidate, which we'll get into later, in Joel Embiid, where he's playing what everyone he's playing as well as everyone expects him to play night in and night out and he's staying healthy which is more important than anything they had some great offseason acquisitions and seth curry and the other shooter i'm blanking on his name they had another shooter i forgot about anyways danny they, green danny green yeah, yeah from the <laughs> Lakers, exactly so seth curry and danny green have been great pickups for them and i think they addressed the needs that they needed the most which was outside shooting so i think the 76ers if all cylinders are clicking. I think they're the biggest threat to the Nets out east. I don't hate it. I, I you know, the Sixers, I, I just still don't know. But I'm going with the Bucks Because I think what the Bucks are going through right now is exactly what they had to go through. Because here's the thing. The past two regular seasons have been pretty historically great for Milwaukee. And every, or both times, I should say, not every time. But both times they reached the playoffs. And first year it's Toronto. Last year it's Miami. And they just stopped them entirely, and they had no counterattack to it. This regular season, they're seeing the schemes employed by Toronto and Miami all season long. So rather than dominating all regular season and thinking, here we go, off to the championship, this year they actually know, okay, no, we have to fight every night because teams are really starting to figure us out now. So I think it's a matter of time before they figure it out back the other way a little bit more. They can't rely on Giannis to just drive to the hoop and kick out to shooters every single time the way they have. Teams are collapsing better on Giannis than they were in the past couple of regular seasons, and they're doing the things that Miami and Toronto did so well. So I think we're going to see Milwaukee adjust, and I think it's taking some time. I think that's why they're third in the East right now. But I think the talent they have on paper is better than the Sixers. It's not quite at the Nets level, but I think that if they can figure that out, which I have faith that they will, I think they maybe even neck and neck with Brooklyn by the time the playoffs roll around. Uh, Joey, I, c- I couldn't disagree with you more on this, honestly. I think the Bucks. I'm not going to call them frauds per se, but I think the Bucks need to step up more. I think Drew Holiday wasn't a big enough pickup for them. I think in the offseason everyone was worried about, oh, who are they going to add? Who are the- Who's going to make this team better next year? And Drew Holiday isn't that answer, and I know he's out right now with an injury, and that's why they're probably losing a few games. But in the playoffs, you're going to give the ball to Drew Holiday to take the last shot. Chris Middleton has shown that maybe once in a while he can do it, and obviously Giannis isn't that guy. And I'm not saying it all comes down to the last shot, but it comes down to situational plays, and I don't think the Bucks have those players. I don't think Drew Holiday is the answer. I'll all. admit it's it's more of an optimistic kind of take for me in the sense of how I described it, that – I like that they're being challenged in the regular season because they hadn't had that. So it's more expecting that by the time the playoffs roll around, it seemed like they were just shell-shocked each of the past two playoff runs. And it seems like we as fans kind of were a little bit as well, where at least especially last year going up against Miami, we thought you know, maybe five, maybe six games at, at best, and then Milwaukee's on to the next round. And all of a sudden, Miami just absolutely handled them because of the way they stopped them. So mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> Milwaukee will be more prepared come playoff time so that's sort of what leans me to that. But if we're sticking with the, the Bucks sixers comparison, because I think you made a good point, the Bucks don't have your traditional end-of-game scorer, especially when you're comparing them to the Nets, where they have three guys who have proven that they can be that guy at the end of games. But mm-hmm. the Sixers are kind of in a similar boat to, to Milwaukee in terms of that. Am I wrong? I, I think you're completely wrong. I think you put Joel Embiid in the post, and I think he gets fouled at the end of the game every single time, and he's a great free-throw shooter. You either foul him or he dunks on you or he kicks it out to a Seth Curry, Danny Green, 
Tobias Harris to me is like a Chris Middleton comparison. I think they're the same, but then who's that next guy? I think you have better shooters on the Sixers, and I think Joel Embiid is playing lights out. I am making this prediction that Joel Embiid continues to stay healthy and continues to play as well as he is now. So that's that's why I'm saying that. Other than the free throw shooting, though, which Embiid is definitely better than Giannis in terms of that, I think you can make a pretty similar argument for for Giannis being the end-of-game guy for the Bucs. I think he can drive to the hoop, draw fouls. Again, maybe not hit the free throws at the same rate, but then he can find those shooters around him too. And maybe you're right. I I think the Seth Curry acquisition, at least, is huge in terms of giving the Sixers— you know, they had shooters, but now they have elite shooters all around Embiid and Simmons. I don't know if the Bucs are quite there with the guys that they have around Giannis, but I think it's a similar enough philosophy that I I just don't think— I don't think either is ideal. I'll put it that way. Right. I wouldn't want either of those end of game situations. But with that being said, I think they're somewhat comparable. Uh, I, I agree with you. We obviously agree on the free throw shooting at the end, but I don't see Giannis as a post player. Like he, when I, you see him get the yeah. ball in the post at the end of the game, he tries to do these weird fadeaways and he's not a great shooter. Joel Embiid goes in the post and he does what all the great big men did in the past, and that's drop his shoulder, hook get foul, dunk on someone. Like, he's just so dominant down there that I think he's that end-of-game player, which he's shown in the regular season, and the playoffs are different. But that's why I think the Sixers are the biggest threat out East. And I can I can see why you say the Bucks because they have the history, and maybe this is an optimistic take on your end. But I think Joel Embiid has an MVP caliber season, and we're not even mentioning Ben Simmons, who's yeah. amazing in his own. But to be fair, I think if we're looking at the East, as we said, Nets probably number one for us. I think it's really just the Nets, the Sixers, and the Bucks who have a legitimate shot of coming out of the East. And with that, Ryan, another team that we probably would have expected to be with those three, maybe you got Miami in there too coming into the year, but the one that I know I had in there as a contender to come out of the East is the Boston Celtics. My hometown team, so maybe it's a little biased. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think you looked at them on paper and you thought, this team's got to take another jump this year. You lose Gordon Hayward, that's a bit of a hit for sure. But still, Tatum and Brown a year older. But the Celtics right now currently sixth in the East at 15-15, and maybe hitting rock bottom yesterday after blowing a 24-point lead to the Pelicans. So, Ryan, I think I know what your answer's going to be. But what's going on with the Boston Celtics right now? I think... Well, one, I think our point guard is the biggest issue for the Celtics. I know Kemba Walker is an amazing player, but he's, what, 5'10", and I think in a he's a small guy. Like, I could post him up. Not actually. He's, a, he's an amazing basketball player, but I thought he got exposed in the playoffs last year in the bubble, and I think we talked about this over and over, Joey, and argued about this. Not, not too much on air, though, to be fair. No, not on air at all, because I've been noticing this a lot. I think Kemba gets exposed defensively because of how small he is. And I think offensively, when he put a bigger guard on him, like what happened last year in the playoffs when they played, was it the Heat? Yeah. Was Yeah, in the Heat, I just think he got exposed to a certain point. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are amazing, amazing players. I think Kemba Walker is your issue, and Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice aren't going to do it for you either on the boards. So With yeah. Kemba, I'll say in his defense last playoffs he was hurt he's still definitely banged up to some extent if not physically the it's definitely taken a mental toll on him Mm -hmm. so I agree something needs to be done but I don't think it's that simple and I think that's been the common theme for the Celtics teams of the past few years where Celtics fans love to point at one guy or one you know situation one dynamic and say oh it's this you know some a lot of fans now will probably point to Kemba as being the issue Mm -hmm. some will say it's Brad Stevens some will say it's Danny Ainge what this all tells me is they're all a part of an issue. Kemba's not playing up to his ability. Danny Ainge hasn't built out the bench that we would hope to. You, you let Gordon Hayward walk and you get a trade exception back for him. Whoop-de-doo, what have we done with it yet? You get nothing to show for it so far. Brad Stevens, I, I still, I love the, the out-of-bounds plays, but can he make the team work together? Can he make them right. mesh? I haven't seen that consistently from him, except for maybe the first couple of years where we really overachieved. So... I just think that there's a lot of issues, and another one, too, is Marcus Smart has been down with a calf tear for the past couple of weeks, and again, the stat sheet goes does not even come close to telling the full story with what Smart does for this team, especially defensively, when you look at yesterday against the Pelicans, where they give up 61 points in the second half, and the Pelicans just caught fire like it's nothing. I think if you have a guy like Smart in there, you at least have a little bit more resistance mm-hmm. against giving up a crazy run like that. So with all that being said, I think my point remains, it's not just one thing. And maybe this just isn't the year for the Celtics. And maybe the past few years just haven't been the years for the Celtics, which is a frustrating thing. But Tatum and Brown are both still very young. I think now you have to wonder, 
are Ainge and Stevens the guys to do it? And Ainge has been great throughout his career. Stevens had a very great start to his Celtics career. But at a certain point, if you're running into the same wall over and over, you have to look at it. And if it, if it's Tatum and Brown for the next 10 years, however long we want him here, it's got to you got to ask them too. You got to get their input right. on it and see what they think we need to do going going forward. Yeah, I totally. I t- didn't think about it. You brought up a good point about the depth of this team. I'm looking at the box score from yesterday, Joey, and th- you don't really have any depth down the bench. If Jason Tatum isn't giving you 25 plus, and Jalen Brown isn't giving you 20 plus a night, and Kemba isn't almost in his 20s, then where what what else is going to happen? Like you have some good, solid key bench players, but you don't have. I understand Marcus Smart being out is a big deal because he doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but defensively and offensively he can do a few things. But if Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum aren't giving you like each 25 a night, you guys aren't going to win a game. And I think last night was obviously a nominal anomaly losing to Pelicans like that. But I think it does show that your team is not deep enough to compete with the big boys in the East. They'll be a solid mid hard hard first round or second round out, but they'll be all right in the future, I think. The one shout out that I have to give to a guy because you you looked at I looked at the bench coming into the year and said, you know who's going to create because that's always the issue. You look at it and you have Tatum, Jalen, and Kemba who can create. And again, Kemba not to the extent that we hope he would have been able to, but those are the only guys who can really get their own shot. Right. Semi Ojale stands in the corner all game and prays that he gets enough room. Robert Williams rolls to the hoop, hopes that you can throw it high enough for him to go and grab it. Peyton Pritchard is maybe the one guy who has stepped up in a way and really shown an ability to create his own shot. But even then, he's a rookie. You can only expect so much out of him. So I think if the Celtics do anything at the deadline, it's try to get another guy to create shots. I, I think the big guys, like you said, Tyson Thompson, not great. But what are you going to do? Are you going to go get Drummond? Or, like, no. it's I don't know how that really changes the dynamic too much. But if you can get another guy who can not only score but create shots for others as well, because Jeff Teague is falling out of the rotation. He hasn't been able to be that guy. We've taken at least shots at it, but we need to actually get a guy in there who can do that if we want any chance this year. Totally agree, Joey. I think you need someone like a Rondo type player. I know. I think I too think late he, for that. I, obviously, it's too late for that. <laughs> and I, I'm not saying to get Rondo. I'm saying like a player. I'm drawing blanks right now with other players, but Rondo is the first comparison that came to mind. Someone that can get in and create for other players, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, although I brought them at the beginning, they're they're doable centers. Like yeah. they they can give you. And Robert 20. Williams too uh, off oh, the bench. He has so a lot of flashes all too. the time. Exactly, which is great. It's just they're they're not going to be the ones to put you over the edge. But if you get a playmaker, you honestly wouldn't have to think about who your center is going to be. And so, one one name that I've heard rumored about the Celtics a lot because of that trade exception is Harrison Barnes, which doesn't perfectly fit into the, the mold of player you were just talking about. But I wouldn't mind it is the thing because Where's I would he? take anyone Sacramento He's who's Sacramento right falling apart as we speak, but that not even worth getting into on the show, but I think, I think he's a good enough shooter, a good enough scorer, and he's a body. He's another big guy. Like take, give him all of Semi Ojale's minutes tomorrow and I'd be satisfied. So we'll see. There's plenty of names out there that are rumored. I I hope we do something, but as I said, I don't know if one single move is going to solve all the issues that this team has at this point. One more thing. I'm glad you brought up Brad Stevens because if you didn't, I would have, I think, he did a great job with the Isaiah Thomas Celtics with like Jay Crowder and that whole team because he was really able to he was new to the league and had all these new ideas, but do you think other coaches have figured it out, figured him out, or do you think maybe he just lost kind of that magic touch when he first showed up? Like I, I don't know. He just doesn't it just doesn't have the same everyone used to talk about him all the time as the great and young coach and now what? Now what? I think the simplest explanation is he's got way more talented players now, and we've seen that be the issue time and time again for him because Early on, like you said, they overachieved big time with a team that was led by Isaiah Thomas, the last pick in the draft, who got passed over by two different teams in his career already. Mm-hmm. So I think when you have guys like that, they really bought into Brad Stevens. But then if we jump to 2017-18, if I'm getting the year correct, maybe 2018, yeah, 2017, no, 2018-19, I'm sorry. 
Well, tw- uh, let's go with 2017-18 first, actually. Kyrie and Gordon Hayward's first year. Gordon Hayward goes down. Oh, and Kyrie, Kyrie goes place. down. Yeah. But then the playoff run where everyone had written us off because we didn't have our two best players, game you seven. make a run to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Next year, Kyrie, Gordon Hayward back. Expectations are sky high. The team crumbles. So I think that that's the simplest common theme that we can sort of look at. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's that simple at the same time. He may be better suited to be a college coach where he doesn't have to – you know, play nice with all these superstars all the time. I don't know. I don't know if there's a single answer to it, but that's that's the closest thing to it. But that is about it for the Eastern Conference that we'll talk about here today. So now, Ryan, let's kick it back out west, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the Utah Jazz are the hottest team in the NBA right now. They have the best record at 24-6. and six. Are they <laughs> real contenders? Nope. <laughs> the Jazz are not real contenders. I don't think... Donovan Mitchell is an amazing player, but I don't think you can have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert be your two players that take you to the finals. Or you can't, you couldn't, in no world can Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert beat. And in the NBA, I think it ends up like this. I don't think you have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert beat Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in a seven game series, or LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a seven game series. And that's no knock on them. I just. When your best two players are those two guys, I don't see them taking that next step to make the finals. I think regular season, like they've always been the last four years, it seems like, they've been great. And they've been a great story. But year in, year out, it's the same story. It's going to be the best players at the the end of the day. So, do you think – you gave me a weird look. Do you think they're – I, I agree. I agree, but for a somewhat different reason. Because you just got to look at last year and see Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic took down Kawhi Leonard and – Paul George, and they're definitely better than uh, Mitchell and Gobert to an extent. And Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo took down Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. And again, that's not a huge gap, but I don't think it's always that simple. And I do think the Jazz have taken at least a jump this year from what we've seen in past years, and the record bears it out too. I think watching them is fun now, which I don't think it always was. I think Conley looks a little bit like his older self once again. The ball movement is beautiful all the way around. I think everyone's also sort of happy, which you might not have expected after the way last season ended for them, or at least before the bubble, uh, with Gobert getting COVID and spreading it and all that. Uh, That was obviously a bit of drama there. But now it looks like they're all having fun and on the same page, which is great, because you might have a good reason not to be. And I think you have the sixth man of the year on the team right now, or one of the candidates in Jordan Clarkson, and I think he's really revived his career re-signing with the Jazz this offseason, I think, for two or three years. And I think he's really stepped up and shown that he's not like that Lakers player that just showed up and scored 20 points once every three weeks. He's consistently in and out, coming off the bench, giving them points when they need it. And I think that's also been a very good highlight, very big highlight. Yeah, and you've seen comparisons with this team to maybe the Hawks and whatever it was, 2014-15, where Corver and Teague and all them. Um, or maybe some Bulls teams after D. Rose had already been a little banged up and they're still very successful in the regular season, but you kind of knew when the playoffs rolled around they weren't for real contenders. Um, And I think it's pretty similar this year just because, as we said, you have LeBron lurking in the shadows with the Lakers trying to defend that title. You have Kawhi and PG out for revenge with the Clippers. So I think given that, they're probably not. But in a more wide-open year, like last year sort of was at this time, the Lakers were still kind of figuring out we didn't know. I think the Jazz in a year like that may have been more of a contender. But given what we know about the teams, not only in the West but in the East as well, I I can't take the Jazz too seriously. I maybe have them... Maybe sliding in the back end of a top five if we did a a real contender list here, mm-hmm. but like I really East think it's West? yeah. But okay. I'd go Lakers. I mean, I don't know. Probably those three teams in the East we talked about earlier, and then Lakers, Clippers, and Jazz would be the top six. I'd have to think about the order more, but right. I feel like that's probably the the championship bubble. And even then, I don't know if the Jazz are in it or just outside of it. Well, I'll just tell you, you you just named six teams. And I'd say that the Jazz are the sixth team on that list. I think and they that's, could be. Yeah. And that's purely, I think, based on the quality of players at the top of each of these teams. And you brought up the Nuggets being the Clippers last year. I think that's a little bit more to do with the Clippers imploding and the Nuggets having just more pure talent on on their team than the Jazz do. I think the Jazz are, I don't know, they're in Utah, Salt Lake City. They're more fundamental. They're more, they kind of like play with the vibe of the city that they play in, if you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. a lot of like defense, hard work. And yeah, they are. They have been a lot more exciting lately, but I don't think they have the 
the next oomph in their game to take them to the next step. So Yeah, I agree. I agree for the most part, yeah. but I, I wouldn't write them off entirely would, at this point. Wait, so t- real briefly, I, I was just looking at the standings. I would put the Suns ahead of the Jazz when it gets to playoff Ooh. time. In terms of the top-end talent, I think you are you might be right, but I don't know. They're, I like the fact that the Jazz have pretty much had this same group for whatever it is. Well, at least two years with Conley, but other than Conley for a pretty long time. Right, but I'm thinking if I'm like the Lakers or Clippers, I'd much rather play the Jazz than the Suns. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul we'll leadership, see. I think it's Booker close. talent, DeAndre Ayton upside. I, I think it's close, too. I think the Jazz are more established, but, like, you never know about that wild card, so. You never know, but. We'll now get away from the teams and into some individual players here, Ryan, because this is the question on everyone's mind. So at right about the halfway point of this NBA season, who do you have as the MVP frontrunner? Joel Embiid, Philadelphia 76ers. I have him. talked about him earlier. He's the reason why the Sixers have been playing so well, and it'd be nice to see like a fundamental big man get the MVP trophy. He's a stud. He can do it in and out and play defense. And if he stays healthy... I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, I think there's a very short list right now, so I'll be curious to hear what you have to say. I'd, I'd say you have to have Embiid at the top just because I don't think anyone else has blended the the team success with the individual success quite yet. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron has an interesting case, but I think if you actually watch those games, there's not there, he's clearly not going all out to win MVP the way Embiid is, um, which isn't ultimately how you should determine the, war, the reward, but it should have a, an, an effect on it. But a player that I will give a shout-out to who I think is quickly rising up the MVP ranks is Damian Lillard because McCollum and Nurkic are both out right now mm-hmm. and the Blazers are playing better than they pretty much have all year and Dame is putting up absurd stats in the process. So, again, as we've talked about in the past with MVP, it's all about the storylines and sort of when you heat up and when you get that storyline going in your favor. I think if Embiid sort of slips down the stretch or something like that, or maybe even goes down with an injury, as we said, because that's always something you have to keep an eye on with him. I think someone will step up and fill that role as the MVP frontrunner, and I think right now Dame is surging towards that spot. Um, I don't know if he keeps it up either, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see sort of a flip halfway through the year, just given what we know about Embiid. Right, I totally agree. I think Dame is a dark horse. Um, I have two takes on that. One, I think Dame could also drive that underdog story because him getting snubbed as the fifth all-star starter and having Doncic over him and Doncic even admitting, I think Dame should have had that. So I think that's a good storyline. We all know a lot of the MVP has to do with storyline. And then two, another dark horse. And I know this might sound kind of weird, but I think James Harden has come to the nets and kind of not changed the team, but I think his facilitation his him playing amazing defense. I think he's, not been I think he's been the leader of the Nets actually now that I'm saying this out loud I think he's been the second best player in the Nets but the leader that the Nets always needed so I don't know I think you just throw James Harden in there as like the number four I think it's an interesting case as to deserving it but I'd be shocked if he won it just because of the way it happened in Houston so I, I would think and it's interesting um, another guy though too is Nikola Jokic and it would be on the Nuggets to kind of turn it around a little bit more because they're Struggled out of the gate, but currently sitting at 16 and 14, good for seventh in the West. So you'd like to see them at least get into that top four, maybe take the Sun spot at number four right now. And then Jokic can maybe get a little bit more noise. But until then, and a big time guy who we've got to mention in our disappointment is Luka Doncic, who is still putting up similar numbers to last year, but the Mavs are sitting at 13 and 15. He still can't really shoot the three as well as we probably hoped he would. He still isn't in as great of shape as we probably hoped he would have been coming into the year. Mm -hmm. And he was the guy that had all the buzz to win MVP coming into this year. Kind of made too much sense. His third year coming off of almost averaging a triple-double last year and everyone going, oh, he's just the jump shot away. So if he came back this year, could bump his three-point up to 38 39% maybe, maybe secure that triple-double average, he, he would have been that guy. But instead, his numbers look eerily similar to last year, and the Mavs have even gotten worse as a team. Yeah, their team's gotten worse, which is they've lost some decent players, and I don't think they made any good additions to their team in the offseason. I mean, Porzingis comes back healthy, and I just checked his stats, and he's been doing his thing and been playing well and playing some good defense. So it's not like the team around him has been playing awful. I also don't think the Mavs have a very well-constructed team right now. They're still building for the future and still building on some young players. I don't think Josh Richardson's done much. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. being your third scorer, third scorer, excuse me, isn't your greatest option in the world. Um, 
I don't know, and you can't even. I couldn't even tell you who's their center. Dwight Powell. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like their team's not perfectly constructed, as you can tell by their record. But Doncic hasn't been able to take them over that next hump like we'd like to see. Well, that Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade was a very interesting one in the offseason because I think if you ask most people heading into it, at least at least most maybe not diehard basketball fans, they would say Josh Richardson's a better player um, because he's 3 andy, whereas Seth Curry, he can shoot it, yeah, but he's a liability on the other end of the ball. Mm -hmm. But with Josh Richardson right now, and even looking at last year, only 34% from three last year, but he still sort of carried that label. This year, only shooting 29.6% from three. So I think, sure, he maybe gives you a little bit more on the defensive end than Seth Curry, but was it really worth swapping out such an elite shooter like Curry for a guy like Richardson? I think that's a deal that they probably regret at this point. Yeah, well, the Sixers made great offseason deals, and them getting off Josh Richardson's contract and getting Seth Curry, because the Sixers don't need to worry about defense per se. So right now with this team as it's constructed, so putting Seth Curry in there wasn't a liability. I think the Mavs should be disappointed in Josh. And they need more out of him. But also, I don't think that team's very well constructed, as you can tell by their record right now. Luka needs to do more, though. I agree with you. Yeah, but it's, I mean, you got your two building blocks there. At least we think so. But I know that there's been rumblings now that maybe they're looking at Porzingis. And you mentioned he's playing well enough, but you're going, is he really capable of being the second best guy on a championship team? Do you need to get another guy who can fill that role, make Porzingis the third guy? Are they even in a position to be able to do that with shelling out contracts? So we'll see what they do down the road. But still, I think Luke is great. I think he just needs to put in that work in the offseason, which I think he clearly didn't really do this past offseason. At best, he maintained where he was at, but he hasn't taken any steps forward this year. Right. He kind of seemed to ride the high of how much uh, attention he got off last season. So I don't know. We want to see him take that next step. So we have kind of agree on Joel at the top. Uh, we didn't really mention LeBron because I don't think he really cares too much. Dame's our dark horse. Jokic as well. And then I threw in Harden, but it's kind of like the Warriors when it was Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. There's no way someone of – there's no way a team that good, an MVP is going to come out of there because things just look easier for them. So Yeah, but that's, that's our MVP race. And I would not be surprised, as I said, if we were talking about a completely different set of players – in a couple of months when it gets a little bit more serious. But with that, we'll move away from the NBA and out of the hangover, which is our opening segment, and into the forecast, where we make predictions about the future in the sports world. So Ryan, today, we will get into a little bit of football as we look ahead to the NFL draft. The talk of the offseason so far has been the quarterback mobility, as we've already seen Matthew Stafford get swapped for Jared Goff in a few picks, and the other day, Carson Wentz getting sent to the Colts. And a lot of people think that this might just be the tip of the iceberg and where a lot of this might go down is within the NFL draft where we have one of the best quarterback classes in recent memory and Ryan I saw a mock draft the other day from Todd McShay on ESPN he had quarterbacks going in the top four picks of the NFL draft uh, he projected a trade with the Panthers trending up into the number three spot from the Dolphins but in order he had Lawrence to the Jaguars at number one Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two um Trey Lance to the Carolina Panthers in that proposed trade at number three, and Justin Fields to the Atlanta Falcons at number four. So, Ryan, in such a quarterback-heavy draft and in an offseason that could see so much quarterback movement, how many quarterbacks do you predict will go in the top five of the NFL draft? Well, four sounds like a very big number, but I don't think it's too far off. I had three. I also see a trade with the Falcons having that number four pick, see them tra trading back and someone possibly trading forward. Uh, it's sad to see Justin Fields drop out, but I would have Trevor Lawrence as number one. The Jets, I'd see, I guess, obviously we don't know as much. I don't know how good Zach Wilson and Trey Lance are, but I would have Justin Fields there, but maybe that's just my biased opinion. And then I would see the Dolphins not drafting a quarterback, the Falcons trading back, possibly with, I don't know, the Lions, the Panthers, the Niners, something like that, some team who needs a quarterback, and then that four slot, a quarterback dropping in there. So I have three out of the five. The Bengals obviously don't need a quarterback, and I don't think the Dolphins do as either. It has to do with trades. So. My only question with that, I, I don't think it's too far off, but what do you think the Dolphins do with three? Like, why would they stick with three rather than also trading down? Or do you think there's no other suitors trying to trade up to number three to get a quarterback? Like, what's the logic there? Oh, I, I mean, I totally see them trading back as well. The Dolphins do need to fill out their roster a little bit more, and I know that they don't need to use the number three overall pick to fill out their roster. So I see the Dolphins also trading back. It just depends on which team trades forward. 
I'd just be surprised if four quarterbacks were in the top five. That would be amazing. It'd be great for the NFL, but I, I, that's kind of that's ridiculous. I think it sounds crazy, but then when you look at all the teams who could be in the market for a quarterback, I think it makes a lot more sense because Jaguars for sure are getting Lawrence. We don't even have to talk about that. Jets, I don't know if I agree with it, but every sign is pointing to them going with Wilson and moving off of Darnold. So maybe Darnold ends up somewhere and gets a shot as a starter, or maybe he's just waiting around somewhere. You know what I mean? Maybe that plugs one hole if someone else gets Darnold. But then you're looking at three, the Dolphins, as you said, probably not in the market for a quarterback. That'd be pretty crazy to move off of two after one year. But I think the Falcons could be. I think the Eagles could be. I think the Lions could be. So Falcons at four, Eagles at six, Lions at seven, Panthers at eight, Broncos at nine, Cowboys at ten, Dak's a free agent. That's probably less likely than some of the other ones we're saying. Niners at 12, Pats at 15, and then even, even after that, you could probably get into a few more. But I think you're looking at what could be just an incredible bidding war from all of these teams for some of those top picks. And I don't think that at the end of the day, if Miami's looking to trade out, because Miami could trade down. Let's just say if I'm Miami, I'm looking for a receiver. That's what I'm thinking for them, because that's the the pressing issue, at least after last year. If you want to actually know what you have in Tua, you have to put the weapons around him to evaluate him. And I think if you trade down from three to, let's say, seven for Detroit, who just got more picks for Stafford, they are armed with the ability to trade up now. If they so choose, they do have Goff on the roster, though. I think if you trade down from three to seven, maybe one of Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, two of the best receivers in this draft, are gone. But you can still have the other one at seven. I'd be shocked if both of them are gone at seven, especially with all the possible quarterback movement that we're talking about here. So I think a team like the Dolphins could easily trade out. I think the Falcons could either stand pat and take a quarterback to succeed Matt Ryan, or they could trade back as well and and roll with Matt Ryan a little bit longer. So I think looking at the draft order doesn't necessarily tell the whole story here. Because mm-hmm. if, if you want a quarterback, what we've seen in the draft over the past few years is you have to trade up and just go get them because you don't know who else is calling the Dolphins or calling the Falcons asking about that pick. Right. So if you can make a competitive offer and get up there and get your guy, you just got to do it. Right. And we can't forget Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Jets and is only linked, I think, at this point with two teams, and it's the Jets and the Niners from what I am reading. And I can totally see the Texans trading Deshaun to the Jets, the Jets trading that pick, because the Texans have no picks in this draft, yeah. obviously, because the Dolphins have them at number three. Like, that could also play a part, because if Deshaun Watson gets straight to the Jets, the Jets aren't going to draft a quarterback. Texans probably will at that point. So, I, I don't know. I just had to throw that out there as well. The Falcons... I see them trading back and trying to trade Matt Ryan for a younger quarterback. He's also being linked with the Niners, and it'll make a lot of sense. I know I'm bringing up the Niners, so I'm a Niners fan, but Matt Ryan to the Niners will make a lot of sense knowing Kyle Shanahan used to be in that Falcons offense. So I see three quarterbacks. I'm surprised Zach Wilson, he's the one out of BYU, right? Yeah. And where's Trey Lance from? North Dakota State. North Dakota State. Yeah, see, I'm surprised that Justin Fields has been dropping out so much with how well he played in college football playoffs and how well he has been playing and he's had all the hype and he's has all the intangibles people talk about. He just people are saying he's just looking a little bit smaller and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson have more of an upside. So And I, I just don't know. I just think maybe the most important aspect too to consider is the guys like Darnold for the Jets who for whatever reason they're deciding that they want to move off of. And I think other guys you could look at uh, I guess already Wentz moved off of the Eagles, but Goff's still on the lines. He's got Bridgewater on the Panthers. So are they looking to upgrade or are they satisfied with where they're at for now? And that's what it's really going to come down to because a lot of these teams at least have an option. Like if the Patriots, for example, right now have no option. Like they need a quarterback, whether it's in the draft or free agency. Yeah. But if the Lions don't want to get a quarterback this year, if they don't want to give up their ammunition to move up in the draft, they don't have to. So we could also see... a not a whole lot of anything in this draft. So it could be crazy. It could be the craziest offseason ever, Mm -hmm. or it could be just kind of like any other offseason. Right. I think you bring up a great point with the Patriots. The Patriots need a quarterback. When I say, like, the Falcons and the Niners, they don't need a quarterback. That's not their number one need. The Patriots do. People are saying the Eagles do, which I don't – that doesn't make any sense. The Panthers need a quarterback. And I hear Denver Broncos don't really like Drew Locke as much. So the teams that are most likely to trade up, I see the Panthers as the first option. I don't really know. I'd like to hear what you say more about the Patriots to see if that's very viable, that they try to trade into the top five. 
doesn't seem like a Belichick move, but I, I think I looking at I think looking at six through nine, the Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Broncos, I think that's where it could get really interesting. Because if you don't have anyone trade into the top four, and let's say one or two of those quarterbacks is still there for those teams, as we said, each of them kind of has a choice at quarterback. Maybe the Broncos are in the worst position out of those four with Drew Locke, but if they don't want to get a quarterback, they don't have to. But if, but if Justin Fields is staring at you at number six and you're the Philadelphia Eagles, can you pass him up is sort of what the question could become as well. Right. Well, I, I kind of disagree with you. I think the Panthers are more likely to draft a quarterback than the Broncos. Because they sort of know what you have in Bridgewater, whereas Locke still, maybe he pops. Exactly. That's that's yeah. the only reason why I'm saying that. Because yeah. like, Drew Locke showed some inconsistencies, but he also showed some talent. And then Teddy Bridgewater, he's, he's never going to win you a Super Bowl. So it's like if I were the Panthers, I would dra- uh, trade up to draft a guy that can learn under Bridgewater for a year, learn your offense. I don't know. It's a good organization with a good line. You can make something happen there. And I for think. whatever reason, they're the ones that have been rumored to trade up more than just about anyone else that I've seen. Yeah, more Obviously, than we don't have the sources that some of the, the top guys do, but the guys with the sources are saying that, so we got to take their word for it, I think. I think we could all agree that the Dolphins, I think their best move would be to trade back. Right. Yeah, but not too far is, I think, the biggest point. I think they could still use a top 10 pick for sure and get another blue chip guy in there. But at number three, and again, it also depends on the offers. But if, if teams are bidding against each other to get up there, you're going to get an insane offer. Right. So if I'm if I'm them and it's the Lions, the Panthers, Broncos, any of them, and they're trying to get in there and offering me an extra first and whatever else, I think you definitely got to take that if you're them. Yeah, the Dolphins, I'm also looking back. They have They have two first rounders, which is another big thing, so. I don't know if you get another second rounder, like two more second rounders, something like that. That third pick's extremely valuable, yeah. And you can tell by that. Do, uh, last thing, do you think the Falcons will trade back? Like, what's your gut telling? Do you think they're going to stick with Matt Ryan, draft a quarterback, trade back? Like, I think I think that's extremely interesting because I think whatever the Falcons do this that draft day is going to affect them for the next few years because you're either sticking with Matt Ryan, getting off Matt Ryan, or building for after Matt Ryan. It's one of those three things. I don't know what his contract situation looks like, but I think that the fit has always been the Niners. I think I thought of that in October, November or something, and it just made too much sense then. So if you can make that work, that'd be great. But I also think it's a match made in heaven for Justin Fields to fall to number four at Atlanta. And especially if there's four quarterbacks in the top four picks, Field seems like a guy that if he's the fourth one out of that, he's going to come up with a chip on his shoulder, went to Georgia, gets to stay in the, the state that he played college in. And high school. Just Fields played high school in there. No, oh, well, he went to, he started at Georgia yeah. and transferred to Ohio State. My bad, I forgot about it. Um, but yeah, so, so he's clearly got roots in Georgia. Right. So to have him there in Atlanta with that chip on his shoulder, I think would be great. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I think that the moral of this is it could be crazy or it could be nothing. And I can't wait to see it unfold, and I hope that we see more dominoes fall before the draft itself actually starts. We can have a better sense. But with that, we'll move out of the forecast and into our final segment of the day, top five. And, Ryan, we didn't, again, talk about the Super Bowl too much, but Tom Brady wins his seventh ring. A lot of people calling him the GOAT. I don't know how I don't know how we feel about that, but I think it's pretty undebatable at this point. And it got me thinking, right? Who are our top five goats? And it doesn't really matter if it's a football player, a basketball player, or not an athlete at all. Just the goat in any aspect, and you have to sort of justify what they're the goat of, and we'll let the people decide. So, Ryan, I don't think we're gonna have too much crossover. So, if you want to start, so if you want to start with your number five pick, then we can work back from there, if that makes sense. Okay. So I'll start with the number five pick because... So your fifth best goat. Right. I think we're, we're moving off into a sport we don't really talk about at all, and I think it's Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he is, for how amazing he is, I think people take him for granted in the soccer world. But I think there's also a great argument to make about the other Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Messi, Pele, obviously um, Maradona. And I know we're not going to talk about it for long, but I had to shout out my boy Ronaldo, favorite player of all time, CR7 for the win. Um, yeah, I didn't even know what to say to that. Yeah, I know. You have no argument. That's why we're going to move by it real quick. But I had to throw him in there because um, I think there's a great case to make. He's a great international player, and I think he's an amazing soccer player. So Cristiano Ronaldo, not the Brazilian Ronaldo, number five. All I know, is, all I know is him over Messi is a bit of a controversial opinion, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that, but. It's like Ronaldo went from – quick history. He went from playing in England, 
to Spain and to Italy, and he's played the top three leagues in the world, and he's dominated every single league. Messi has played for Barcelona his whole entire life and has racked up goals in a league that hasn't been as strong as the Premier League or the Serie A in Italy. So that's why I think Ronaldo. And Ronaldo's getting older, and he's playing even better. And Messi's getting older, and he's dropping off. So there we go. There, there's my little spiel. Yeah, you guys know more than me. So with that, I'll with my number five, I'm actually going with a bit of a soccer player too, Ryan. But he's actually also a lacrosse player. And it's his birthday today on 222. And that's Pierce. That's Pierce Eldridge, our sweet mate. He's my number five goat. Uh, he's the goat of Philly. I don't know. He's the goat of just uh, whatever you want. Uh, yep. But, shout but out he, Pierce. But he's a goat. And it's his birthday. So we just got to give him a shout out here. And I figured this was a good way to do it. I was thinking about doing it too. I'm glad you did it. Because I would have felt bad if none of us did it. Happy 21st, Pierce. P-Dog. Charles. We what love else? you, bro. What else? Uh uh, Dirty P, that's my man. Um, one of my best, one of the first friends I made at the school. We play soccer and lacrosse here. Uh, love that guy. He'll he'll take a bullet for any of us. So, and we're cut from the same cloth, me and him. The story goes. That's, so that's the story. I don't know how how accurate it is though. With that, Ryan, we'll we'll give you your number four pick. Who do you got there? So it's not who, it's not what. It's a TV show. Um, I'm going The Office. I think it's the greatest TV show of all time. <laughs> I didn't even think of going non-person here. Yep, I, I went non-person. I went non-person for two of these. <laughs> I might have gone non-person for three. No, I went non-person for two of them. Okay. And The Office, um, I got Peacock, so I watch The Office a lot. I love The Office. I love Jim. I see myself as a Jim. All you Office listeners out there, um, you you know. You just you just know that's the greatest show of all time. So shout out The Office. I don't. I mean, it's obviously not the best written show of all time, but emotionally, it's the greatest of all time for me. I mean, you can't argue with someone's favorite show. That's no. that's just the way you feel. I mean, it's way out there for me. Might be my number one as well. Definitely my favorite comedy show ever. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, but for me, let's throw it back to people a little bit. And number four on my list is Kylie Jenner. Um, Kylie Jenner is just the goat. Um, I don't really think there has to be much explaining here. Ryan seems to think it's really funny, but doesn't want to laugh on camera or laugh on mic, I guess. But um, to be honest with you, I didn't want to make a list of five dudes. And that's, the, pa- that's the path I was heading down. I said, well, who's, who's like one of the goat females out there? I feel like and you could have gone so many other routes. Yeah. <laughs> Kylie Jenner. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'll give, I'll give, I have one that I'll shout out as well. They, they can be co, co-champions here. I, I'll go Serena Williams. I'll give Serena Williams a quick shout out. Best women's tennis player of all time, maybe best tennis player of all time, maybe best athlete of all time. So I'll throw her into the mix too. But Kylie Jenner and Serena Williams, two of the goat, two of the goat females, um, for very different reasons for sure. But definitely, you know, both inspiring to different groups of people for different reasons. Right. Um, we'll just move on from that yeah. real, real quickly. We're going to a non-person uh, again. Okay. More of an area, a town. One would say. I have the Bay Area as my goat. I think it's the best place to live in the in the world. And I'm from San Leandro, California, just bordering Oakland. Wait, wait, just one quick question to follow up on that that crazy comment you just made. How many places in the world have you lived, Ryan? I have lived in Oakland and San Leandro, and now I'm living in Boston. So I've lived in three places, and two of them have been the Bay Area. And, and with that. With that life experience, you feel confident enough Everyone in saying I that talk the to, Bay Area is the best place on earth to live. <laughs> Everyone I talk to say, "God, I gosh, I really wish I went to San Francisco." And I'm like, "Oh, I live ten minutes from there. I really wish I went to Silicon Valley. Oh, twenty five minutes away from there. I really wish I went to San Leandro. Oh, I live there. No one said that. Oakland. One. No one said that. San one. Jose. Come on, you have so many amazing places in the Bay Area, and I think it's the goat place to live." I made a quick trip out there a few years ago. I had, a good, admit, I had a good time. In, in and out, Silicon Valley, San Leandro. Um, I could go on and you on. Just, the, the San Leandro getting <laughs> slid in there every time is what's really losing me. I mean, you have an you have In and Out in San Leandro, like seven different Chipotle's. Like, come on, dude. Like, what could you ask for? So that's how you rate the quality of life. How, how are the schools? Uh, the schools, you know, they are what they are. Love San Leandro High. Shout out. All my friends there. I didn't go to school in San Leandro. I went to school in Oakland. That's why I shout out to Oakland, too. So, best athletes. Some of the best rappers and athletes ever from the Bay Area. Come on. Jalen Brown went to Cal. Come on. You should. I like Jalen. I mean, I like Jalen went to Cal. Saw him in college. Um, Ivan Rabb, shout out. Uh, uh, There's a lot of other people I could be shouting out. E40. 
But that's no, just the going, Bay Area thing. That's just the Bay Area thing that you just, Joey, you wouldn't get because you're not from there. And I don't, I don't get your Uxbridge experience. No, it's totally fair. I, I just, I it's would valid. just never say that Uxbridge for, I mean, for more reasons than one, but I would never say that Uxbridge is the, the best place to live on earth. But most of all, I wouldn't say it because it's the only place I've ever lived. So I, I feel like that's a, a bit of a, of a crazy take when, when you've only lived in one place, but Hey, everyone I've talked I guess to from you the feel Bay that area, confident. everyone I talked to from the Bay area says the same thing that the Bay area is the best place to live. So it's our little bubble and right. take it or leave it. All right. Well, I mean, Hey, if, if that's what you want to think, then, then We're go ahead. Built different. Number three for me is a guy who I shouted out a little bit earlier on the show briefly, but it's Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard oh has been God. a revelation for the Celtics this year. I, he's not the rookie of the year. He's maybe never even going to be a starter in the NBA, but the way you watch the Celtics and you watch the NBA draft oh every God. year and you hear names called and immediately, you know, this guy, like Aaron Neesmith got drafted and I went, really? Okay, he's a good shooter, whatever. Pritchard even got drafted and I wasn't immediately excited. And there is year after year of this, of a draft and all this talk of the Celtics trading up and making a big splash and then they end up with one or two guys who can't get a shot themselves and then they're maybe out of the league three years later. But Pritchard has been the one guy other than Tatum or Brown in the past, whatever it is, five years maybe, who's actually made a splash from day one. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I know I know how much you hate Kemba, so maybe you'll get behind this. Mm-hmm. But in a couple of years, Kemba's contract's off the books. You might just let him walk and say, hey, Pritchard, here you go. Here, you're the new, you're the point guard of the future hot, for this team. Hot take king right here, Joey DeBoy. Come on. I don't think that's that much of a hot take. Dude, he's played 28 games in the NBA. He's not. He's not four years of Oregon, three years of Oregon. He's I, not going to be anyone special. I don't think he, he'll be a superstar for sure, but I, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think he's also a great fit next to Tatum and Brown in the sense that he's not quite Kemba in the way that he needs the ball all the time, but he can do a little thing or two with the ball. But I, th- I think he'd be a good guy to play off of those two right. long term. So we'll see. Again, more of a, of a passionate thing for me than actually calling him the GOAT at basketball because he's definitely far from it. He's not even the, the best rookie in the league right now. But just for what he did for the Celtics, at least showing me that Danny Ainge is still somewhat cap- capable of drafting a guy outside of the top three, it, it did a lot for me to know that. And maybe maybe we'll keep Danny Ainge around a little bit longer. Thanks to Peyton Pritchard. Thanks, thanks, thank you, Peyton Pritchard. If Danny Ainge stays around a little bit longer, you should write a thank you note to him. You should. All right, Joey. Uh, I think I'll just move on to my number two. I was gonna say you'd start bringing up passion, so I thought of someone else. I was gonna say Kendrick Lamar because I think he's the greatest rapper of all time. But I changed my mind. I'm gonna shout out my dad. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I think my dad's the goat. Um, so now I look like a jerk for not having. No, well you just you just brought up like being emotional about something. So I thought of my dad. Uh, I just got vaccinated yesterday, so shout out my dad. Um, good guy, good good role model. He's an OG, uh, born Las Vegas. Just knowing what number one on your list is going to be, and thinking of your top three in the order that they're in is now just just going to be legendary. But it's, I, well, I'll let the dramatic irony wait for the exactly. for the listeners out there. So, but. Dad, shout out you. I I I think you're. I don't think you're listening actually, but I'll send it to you later. Um, I love you. But don't mention this part, though. Just send it no, and say, hey, check out. Check and out I, doubt, I doubt he'll listen to the whole thing. I'll probably get through the first 45. Well, if he did listen, what would you want him to hear right now? Um, I'm almost done with the book you gave me. And if you could send me a letter with a few bucks in there, that'd be great. I love you. Uh, shout out, Bob. So that's my number two. It was Kendrick Lamar, but I changed I, I, my mind. I actually hope he doesn't listen after hearing <laughs> what you would have said to him. But it will take all the listeners we can get. So so with that, I'll move to my number two. And we knew this one was coming. It's Kanye West. Well, so we oh, both went with rappers, So we're too. both going rappers, number two. Yeah. But you flipped a dad. I, I stuck with my guns. I went with, with my rapper. So you went with emotionally stable person? Not quite. Um... But, you know, he's going through it right now for sure. And and I just want to say this. This is a good segue into into talking about him here. I'm sick of the people who are celebrating the Kanye and Kim divorce oh, because yeah. they think it's going to give them great music. Maybe it will give us great music. And if that great music comes, hopefully I get my heart broken right before it as well so I can enjoy it just as much as Kanye enjoyed making it. But with that, he's going through it right now. He's been going through it with the mental health stuff. 
So a divorce and potentially not seeing his kids as much as he once did is probably the last thing that that guy needs right now. I mean, maybe Kim Kardashian was the reason with all the mental health issues. I hate to say it. She might like, she might have exacerbated it a little bit, but I, I, I think it's irresponsible to, to say it's all her. I think it it was probably from the beginning of the career when his mother died. I think that obviously did a little bit more to him. And I do think that Kim probably was maybe another step towards where he's at today, but hopefully you're right. I, I hope he gets better away from Kim. Yeah, well, as Kanye said, everybody knows the movie Get Out is about him. Um, I'm glad he's – well, I'm not happy that he's sad, but maybe this is better for him because he's getting out. He he said it himself. Chris Jong-un just got got too much for him. Chris Jong-un right there. Chris Jenner, you don't remember that one? You look a no. little confused. No, I'm, he, I just stared at the screen. He, he, he tweeted, tweeted out um, – Chris Jong Un in reference to Chris Jenner, his his oh, wife's mother, like so, a dictator. Yeah, so it's a little it's a little bit of a tough look, but as I said, I'm rooting for him. He's an easy guy to laugh at and to poke fun at, but he's got mental health issues, so I think that's always something that that we should support and hope that he gets better. Yeah, send in love to Kanye. Yeah. Shout out you, Kanye. So for my number one, uh, all you faithful listeners listeners out there, you know who it's gonna you be. But we're gonna say specifically why, what year. How you got like two minutes? Yeah, so. I know, but it, I'll, I'll I'll truncate it. So Russell Westbrook, year 2016, 2017, he's the goat. When he won his MVP, deservedly so, dragged a bad team to the fifth seed in the Western Conference. Might have been the sixth seed. Already blanking on it. He's a great father, three kids, great clothing line, amazing dunker, amazing player. He's a straight dog. He's also we're say on that a, again. Say that he's again. a straight dog. Yeah, okay. We're on a four-game winning streak. We're playing the Lakers tonight. I'm going to bet the house on the Wizards. We're going to make it five. You bet? Now I do. <laughs> yes, I do. I gamble a little bit now. And I'm putting the house on the Wizards because Russell Westbrook is that dude. He's always been that dude. He always will be that dude. And 2016-2017, when he got the triple-double. By the way, he did a triple-double three years in a row. People don't talk about that. People don't talk about that because he made it people, so normal. People talk too much about how people don't talk about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I don't even know what that means, Joey. This just went over my head. All I'm saying, Russell Westbrook, put some respect on his name. If anyone doesn't, I'm coming for you because he is the GOAT. All right. Um, I think I've made my thoughts clear on Westbrook over the years on this show, so I won't get back into it now. He's your GOAT. I'm happy for you. Um, but I'm going to go with an absolutely undeniable GOAT, and we already said it. I'm just going to get out of the way. It's Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the GOAT of all GOATs in my mind. Uh, I, re- I truly believe his resume as an American athlete is now better than anyone else's ever. I think he might have had an argument already before this latest ring, but winning a new one without Belichick in Tampa Bay, obviously he's got a stacked roster around him, but historically one of the least successful franchises in the NFL. And what does he do in year one? Takes down the reigning champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. For me, that secures him as the GOAT of all GOATs. And again, I'm a Patriots fan. You can call me biased, call me whatever you want. But, but I have him number one. Um, yeah. And well, that's an insane thing that you just did on your laptop <laughs> I, screen, right? Like I said, I'm going to bet the house on the Wizards. Probably a player prop with Russell Westbrook. Let's just say this. It's five units for, for Ryan. Five units. You can think of that any way you want. I hope my dad stopped listening by now <laughs> if he got this far. Um, After your message to him, if I was him, I would hope he had just shut it off. Yeah. Well, Tom, Tom Brady, I undisputedly, is the greatest football player of all time. Uh, he's probably the greatest of all time of all time. Well, I mean, I think that's actually kind of <laughs> – I think that's kind of actually – I hate to say it, ignorant to say. It's a very American way to look at it. I no, think. I, I, you got to emphasize the greatest American athlete Oh, okay. Of all time, Did I you think. say American? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I missed that. Okay, never mind. I, I, then I definitely – I don't even know enough to compare him to athletes from – You have that guy in that. India, the cricket player, who's just – Yeah, who's got like 100 million Instagram followers. He's like you fourth see most – Yeah. I saw that the other day. And he's, Tom he's Brady's like got like 10 million. He's like, I don't even think he has that much. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, I think American-wise, like, I would say it's him or Serena, but it's just two. They're just incomparable because Serena plays four majors a year. Tom Brady gets one Super Bowl a year. So it's it's obviously a little bit different. And Serena's been playing for way longer as well, which is another thing working against her. But I do think, with that being said, you look at the greatest in all time, and we've talked about this before, but it's all about how you perform related to your peers. Exactly. And if Serena has played this long and she has four majors a year, whoop-de-doo, but if she's won 
I don't even know what the number is at this point. But I think 23. Just, but but how many more is that than the next person? You know what I mean? And that's right. the question. If it's a large enough gap, I don't really care if she plays four majors a year. If she's that much better than who she's playing against or who has played historically, then she, she could be the GOAT just as well as anyone else could be. Yeah. I, I mean, I think those two are the greatest athletes of all time, American athletes of all time. So, And Russell Westbrook. So I'm glad I threw that one in there. Well, he's, he's your GOAT, and that's – we got to be clear. He's your goat in whatever way you feel, but maybe let's keep him out of, out of that list with Brady and Serena there. But Ryan, that'll do it for today's episode. You want to take us out from six hundred three Boston? Peace. Since I felt like this And I've been eating pretty good Like my belt size bit Got the cars in my hand I was dealt right quick I'm a father to the game Guess I'll help my kids And I know it's no common sense But I'm just trying to kick back No problems I just want to chill out Like popsicles So if possible What's poppin' dude And I've been really, really thinking What's your name? And could you pipe down When the hooks start playing? When the shit drops